Welcome to episode two of Thinking Out Loud. playing my theme tune over and over. Uh, it's from Nate Ratliff and the Night Sweats. And I was spending a lot of time trying to get licensed music from um, artists that I've been listening to. And Nate Ratliff and the Night Sweats are a band that I only came across recently. But um, I managed to get a license for his a few of the songs for the podcast. Quite expensive, six euros per episode but i think it's worth it and that's why it might be a bit long but we'll see how we get on i think it's running at about one minute 40 seconds there on the intro but we'll, we may have to adjust it as time goes on anyway welcome to episode two of thinking out loud and today i'm going to be focused on the aftermath of the second president u.s presidential debate uh which took place last night between president trump and Vice President Joe Biden. Um, largely, it was a good debate. I enjoyed it. It was definitely not the car wreck of the first debate. It just descended into chaos almost immediately. I place most of the blame for the first debate on the moderator, Chris Wallace from Fox News, who ended up getting into a debate with Trump. And we heard very little from Joe Biden. And when any time he did try to make a few points, Trump was hopping all over him, jumping on top of him, not not allowing him to talk. And I think that was a mistake by Trump in the first debate. But last night, Trump was a lot more presidential. The format suited a lot better both candidates. I think we got into a little more detail about what they're all about, what Trump proposes for a second term, and a couple of the ideas uh, that Joe Biden has. Uh, the moderator last night was Kirsten Walker. Kristen Walker. I thought she did an excellent job overall. Uh, she favoured Biden, Biden slightly, but I thought she was actually excellent. The debate itself focused on a range of topics. The coronavirus was prominent early on for the you know for the f- first half of the debate. Biden got a few jabs in. I don't think he got any killer punch in. Trump sounded like he knew what he was talking about. And that isn't always the case with President Trump. He has about six or seven talking points on actions he has taken during the coronavirus, going back to the end of January, that he keeps pounding on. The first being he cut off flights, inbound uh, flights from China to the US, I think on the 30th of January. And Joe Biden is on tape saying that Trump was xenophobic and it was the wrong decision. So obviously Trump has been hammering that point for the last six or seven months. The the media outlets have split in two directions. The left-wing media seem to think that Joe Biden won last night. CNN, MSNBC, even the Irish Times in Ireland, most of the column inches are 
suggesting that Biden won the debate last night. I thought Biden lost heavily last night. And I think even the Guardian's headline in the UK today is something around Joe Biden hammers Trump on on the coronavirus. The coronavirus um, section, while it was interesting, there was plenty back and forth. I didn't think any. I don't. I didn't think any candidate landed any haymakers, any knockout punch. I thought the things that stood out for me were when they started talking about prison reform and crime. Joe Biden was on very shaky ground because he has been so long a senator, 47 years in pol- I think 47 years ago he was elected to the Senate, which is a crazy amount of time. But And Joe Biden apologized for um, decisions he made in the 80s or that were made in the 80s. And when he said that, Trump hopped all over him in terms of, he brought that up, he brought up the 1994, I think, crime bill that, ended up with a lot of thousands, tens of thousands of African-Americans ending up in jail on drugs charges. And it's quite ironic considering all the media attention on Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and his addiction to crack cocaine and how he's skated free basically for his whole life. The I thought Trump did well there. I thought that that whole crime section favoured Trump and he got a good line in when at the end of it he said you were pre- you're you're apologizing for what you did but you're you were vice president for 8 years and you never made any changes um trump has brought in a lot of prison reform and uh in his first term that he trumpets any time he gets an opportunity uh and joe got stunned by the rebuttal and he was kind of trying to think of something but he there was about a four men four seconds of dead silence and he just goes well it was a republican congress and again with joe biden that's not true there was a couple of years there where it wasn't there was a there was definitely a a, a democratic house majority i'm not quite sure but i'm not, I'm not quite sure if they had the majority in the senate as well the first two years of their presidency but 08 to 2010 they definitely had the house and again, it was a very bad answer in terms of it doesn't matter who's in the other branches of government. It's the job of the president to force change through, to get your, you know, to negotiate, to come up with a deal. Thought he handled it very badly. Um, the other thing was that the the other point to note is that Biden's energy levels were quite strong for the first 30 minutes. And then about kind of minute 35, his, his, you could visibly see his energy go down. You could see his reaction times and thought processes almost slowing down. He started stuttering more. He started losing his train of thought. He started getting this, come on, man. And that's a, t- that, that's a, that's a telltale sign with him is that he's at an end of a uh, thought train and he doesn't know where to go. And he kind of ends, said, he ends his contribution with this, come on, man. But... I think the biggest mistake of the night was one that Biden made at the very end, and it had to do with Trump basically got him to say that I will transition from the oil industry. There was a huge section of the debate on kind of climate change slash the energy industry. And Joe Biden was had been doing quite well, but he, he told an outright lie. He said that he was um, not opposed to the fracking industry. Now, there's numerous, numerous video and audio of Joe Biden saying the exact opposite. And Trump said this to him. He says, Joe, that's not true. And Biden just went, well, show me the video clips. Put it on your website. Now, of course, that was a, that's a campaign ad for Trump because within five minutes of the debate being over, the Trump campaign had a video clip of Joe Biden in the debate and four time, three or four times he came out against fracking. And... A couple of times, Kamala Harris came out against fracking. And we'll, I, have, I have the clip and we'll play it for you later, but I'm going to use it in relation to the talking points in the Irish Times and when we go through that article. And the, the other points from the debate were Trump tried to bring up Hunter Biden, but he brought him up in a much more calm manner this time around. It wasn't um, a shouting match. He, Joe Biden again said his son... Uh, his son had done nothing wrong 
in his dealings in, in his foreign dealings i think he i think he referenced specifically ukraine now there's a mountain of evidence that hunter biden used joe biden's influence in ukraine with the company he was employed by as on the board of director burisma i don't want to keep harping on about all the information that's come out about the biden family in the last week but nobody is talking it's not in the guardian it's not in the irish times it's not in the washington post and the track they've now taken first they've said it was russian disinformation they can't say that anymore because two different people have come out revealed themselves to and cor- with evidence that corroborates what's on the laptop and to that end uh Lieutenant Bubulinski, a business partner of Hunter Biden, a former naval officer, um, a business partner partner with Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, on a Chinese a deal with a Chinese energy company, and he categorically held a press conference at the site of the presidential debate last night, an hour before it, categorically saying that Joe Biden was aware of all these Chinese deals that Hunter was trying to pursue. And that, in fact, Joe Biden was getting a cut, a slice of the pie, and basically the money was going, the money was going through Hunter Biden and to Joe in some fashion. Evidence of how that was happening wasn't given, but there he had in his press conference he handed over three mobile phones, and he claims to have a load of text messages and emails and documents that back up what he's saying. Now, what he's all the Everything he's saying is backing up what's on the, what the New York Post claims is on Hunter Biden's laptop. And have we seen there's some crazy stuff on this laptop? Um, I think I said in episode one there was a lot to drop. A lot has dropped in the last two days. But what I would say is it, was, it, it, it hasn't been enough to knock Joe Biden out of the campaign, I don't think. And I think if they had much more, I think they would have dropped their best stuff in the 24 hours before the debate. And they did drop some, you know, um, things into the papers and that kind of stuff. But I don't, it didn't knock them out. Um, I was, and again, I have to say, I, I was quite like, for the, if, if the debate ended after 25 or 30 minutes, Biden was definitely, you know, holding his own. But he went severely downhill after that. The tell for me about who won the debate is the moderate Republicans were irate with Trump after the first debate, and they were vocal about it and public about it. And um, so ben, guys like ben, ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire, they were highly critical of the performance after debate one. They were over the moon after debate two. And when I switched over to have a look at what CNN were, were saying, of course, CNN were focused on something totally different. They were focused on the sliver of the debate that was around the coronavirus. And Joe Biden made some good points on immigration and about this, you know, 500 children that have been separated from their kids and are in cages. But I think Trump got the best line of the whole night when in his response when he says to Joe Biden, who built the cages? And again, he's absolutely accurate. It was the Obama bid. Biden administration that built these detention centers. So, um, in summation, I don't think, I think both camps will come out of it moderately happy. I think, though, that Trump has kept his momentum. The last six or seven days, Trump has won the news cycle every single day. And it's the first time in his presidency that he's probably won the news cycle six days in a row. And the Biden campaign, the media and tech are trying to get off this Hunter Biden story in any shape or form, but they can't seem to do it. This debate should have changed the narrative, but I don't think it necessarily will because Joe Biden definitely didn't land any punch that's going to have the media chasing after Donald Trump. You'll have the usual fact-checking of Trump. I've seen already a couple of people calling Trump a liar and all these lies. Joe Biden, the most blatant lies were told, in my opinion, by Joe Biden. And the reason I say that is there's video evidence of some of the stuff that he is claiming he didn't say. Like, there's, it's on video. It's on audio. So you can be sure the Trump campaign are going to cut some campaign ads 
on energy and also they're probably going to cut a couple of ads on what he said about Hunter Biden having um, not doing anything wrong and we shall see but I think in terms of the energy sector Trump needs to win Pennsylvania, Ohio and Colorado are three states that have heavy employment in that sector and what they would have heard from Joe Biden last night would frighten them I'd say like if you take even a state like Texas, there's over 250,000 people employed directly or indirectly in the energy and gas sector in Houston, just Houston. And they will not have been happy to hear what he had to say on the energy industry in general, on the oil industry in particular, with that line he said at the end, I would transition from, I will transition from the oil industry. And why you know he made a mistake is his campaign were up within five minutes to make clarifications and kind of roll back what he said. But it's quite clear that Joe Biden does not have much room with his own party, with the far left in his own party, who are driving a climate change, Green New Deal agenda. So it's a tightrope that he's walking in his own party. But he threw, he threw Obama under the bus in, in one section um, going back to what he was saying on crime, he was saying, well, I wasn't president. So it was like, well, what were you doing as vice president? But uh, both sides will both sides will try to take something out of it. I think when you sit down in a day or two, you'll look back and say Trump won the debate handy. That would be my take on it. I'm kind of rooting for Trump, uh, so I'm not exactly unbiased. But I don't think that... Biden did enough to change the narrative going into the last 10, 10 days. So I'd say Trump's rallies will continue. And just on that point, uh, he's getting 15,000 people at air, airport hangars on every campaign stop for the last two weeks. <clears throat> or not two weeks, whenever he came back from the coronavirus. But um, So I would say his central point in rallies will still be Hunter Biden and his strength on the economy. And I think that is going to be the combination he's going to go with into the last 10 days. Now, CNN have done a lot of polling after the debate. They had this this panel of independents, Republicans and Democrats. And again, this they, it showed that poll showed that Trump won or Biden won the debate 59 30s something 52 39 or something like that i think this format of getting 20 voters or 50 voters in a room to watch the debate while they claim they're they haven't made their mind up is kind of outdated at this stage there's no i don't think there's many people in the united states that haven't made their mind up and i think 98 percent of them have their mind made up and 50 million of them have already voted that's the other point so if you're following this race for the last 10 days, if you're just tuning in to the US presidential race, I wouldn't follow polls because quite simply, over a third of the electorate have already voted. So if you want to look into it, and what I'll be doing for the next week or so, is going through the early voting data that each state publishes at the end of every day. You can kind of get an idea of the turnout in those counties and you can compare them with turnout from four years ago, but also you, you can see the counties Democrats are really strong in. Look at that data, the counties that Republicans are really strong in, and look at that data. And kind of you, you can extrapolate a lot. And to that end, we'll be looking at Nev- the state of Nevada later on in the episode because I think that's a quite interesting state to look at. Hillary Clinton won at 48-45 in the last election, a narrow margin. But Nevada is one of these huge states that has largely rural bar Las Vegas and I think Reno. So in that election, of the you know 25 or 30 counties that are in 25 or 30 counties that are in it, there's only two that actually vote majority Democrat. And the biggest one is Clark County, which has Las Vegas. Now, Hillary Clinton won this by 11 points in the last election. And we're going to look in a bit of detail uh, at that state and the, the polling that's there, early votes that are coming out of this um, segment two. The 
so that was that's all I have to say on the presidential debate. I was hoping that Joe Biden would come out with his one of his more famous lines, which is "Son of a bitch," where he had the famous uh, he's caught in videotape with the with the with the foreign relation or foreign affairs think tank, and he is regaling the audience with how he got the, uh, a Ukrainian prosecutor fired, and it was at the it was used by Republicans when Trump was when they were trying to impeach Trump, and it showed it showed a kind of a quid pro quo, and that's where Hunter's name started to get zoned in on by Republicans because Hunter worked for this Burisma co- company in the Ukraine. Even though I can't speak U- Ukrainian, was getting anywhere between fifty. His company was getting anywhere between fifty and one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars a month uh, to sit on the board and offer advice. Blah, blah. It's and that in itself is suspect. But if you understand that the Ukrainian prosecutor that Biden fired was the one and same guy who ha- had, and this has been proven now, o- opened an investigation against Burisma that had huge issues with corruption prior to prior to Hunter Biden and and his company getting involved with it. But the video tape showing that Joe Biden actually rang the president or, or told the president of the Ukraine that at that time that if he didn't fire the prosecutor the United States were not going to guarantee a one uh, uh, were not going to allow a one million a one billion loan guarantee to be made to the Ukrainian government so this is like the classic quid pro quo that the quo that they were accusing Donald Trump of now there's leftist uh, opinion about this that's the opposite of what I said but like the video, the video evidence is clear. He said in a statement that if you don't fire that prosecutor in the next six hours, basically before he was getting on a plane, that they weren't getting the money. And he's bragging about it. And then he goes, well, son of a bitch, they fired him. So it was quite, quite clear that obviously he didn't know any of this would ever come up. He probably didn't even know that he'd be running for president himself one in the near future. But it was... Classic Joe Biden, he kind of pr- pr- starts telling a story, might have exaggerated a bit just to regale his audience, but he quite clearly has said it. And when you tie it in, it's the same time frame as Hunter Biden being involved with Burisma. You can be guaranteed these kind of despotic parts of the world where there was mass corruption, Ukraine, China, Iraq, and um, even Russia. They're not paying the Hunter Bidens of the world, for what's between their two ears. They're, they're, they're trying to buy influence, and they're trying to buy influence at as high a level as they can get it, as far as I'm concerned. In this case, they, they got it with Biden. So that's all I want to say on that. But um, considering that Joe's a son of a bitch man, I'm going to play a little tune now. back after that brief interlude. So I want to move on to Nevada and dive into the data there, uh, particularly the data from this week. And again, as I did in the last episode, I'm using data, early voting statistics from a website called electproject.github.io. It's a professor of 
out of the University of Florida, a guy called Michael McDonald, who's compiled every all of the state's early voting statistics. And he's pulling those st- statistics out of the departments of states or the election boards of the individual states that are running each election. So the first thing that I noticed on the data was that Trump's numbers in the last four days, and by numbers I mean in-person voting, people that show up at the voting location, as opposed to people that have returned a ballot. So this information is quite interesting because you can track a pattern. On Sunday, on Sunday, October 18th, last Sunday, Trump held a campaign rally in Carson City, Nevada. Now, I was watching this campaign stop and it had a beautiful backdrop of the, I think the Carson mountain range in Nevada. It must have been a small airport and there was 15,000 people and they were absolutely, um, really, really supportive of the president. There were the energy that the energy of this particular stop was nothing like I've seen in some of the other ones that he goes to more regularly. But I think it's a, a factor of Nevada is not a state that Trump goes to a, a huge amount of time. He lost it in the last election. I think he has a good chance of winning in this election. Like He only lost it by t- less than three points um, in 2016. Now, they began their in-person voting on Saturday, October the 17th, and most of the polls were closed on Sunday. There were a couple of anomalies. And But what's very interesting there is Clark County is number one, and number two is Washoe, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, um, is another one, that they're kind of um, urban centres. But Clark County has Las Vegas, and so it's it's got the lion's share of the vote. So if, you, if I look at the statistics for Saturday for that county in Nevada, the Democrats got 12,187, the Republicans got 10,267, a differential of almost 2,000. Clark County was one of the few stops that was open on Sunday in Nevada. And again, the Democrats got 9,352 votes and the Republicans got 9,177 votes. So you can see those first two days of polling slight edged to the Democratic vote, Democratic vote or registrate registered voters. However, what happens on Monday, and I think this is a function of him having a campaign stop there, is quite telling. On Monday, Democrats had 10,844 voters show up in Clark County, and Republicans had 12,868. So that's a jump of 2,000 in their favour on the Monday. It might be just a one-day thing, you might say. Um, on the Tuesday, 10,571 Democratic voters voted in Clark County, and 13,624 voters voted under the Republicans. So that's, again, over 3,000 of uh, different now, they they <clears throat> I'm, for some reason Nevada haven't updated the Wednesday figures or th- th- at time of going to broadcast here hadn't the Thursday figures either, even though most of the other counties are referenced. However, what we can see from the overall effect is that in in person early voting, fifty eight thousand Democrats have voted and seventy nine thousand Republicans. So that gives Trump an edge there of 46% to 34%. That's quite a shock to me in terms of how wide the margin is. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of mail-in ballots going into that state. But what you see in all the states that have mail-in ballots is that once in-person early voting starts, it starts to, the rate of return of mail-in ballots seems to have, have drop off in these states considerably. Now, the Democrats have a lead, no doubt about it. They have a lead in the overall numbers in the states. But this in-person voting is only going to get larger and larger and larger as we get closer to the election. And the mail-in ballot returns are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller, I think. <coughs> so if we look at the overall statistics for the state of Nevada, and I'm just going to read these out. Democ- 170,000 Democrats have um, voted, 122,000 Republicans have voted, and 77,000 Independents have voted. So 370,000 people have voted 
in Nevada to date. So you might ask, what is what percentage of the vote might that be? Well, we'll just take a quick look here in a second. We pull up the the 2016 results by by um, county in that state. So it was again, as I said earlier, a state that favoured Hillary. But what we can see is that the overall vote for Nevada is approximate 30 percent of the registered voters in the state. So that's quite a that's quite a chunk of change to have already voted in Nevada. I'm just going to bring up one more statistic for you now, proper analysis of it. I'm just going on to Wikipedia here just to pull up this stick in. So look at the three main count, 2006. You can see that approximately 1.1 million people voted in Nevada in 2016. So as it, you know, I'm factoring in that you've most states are seeing a 10 to 20% bump in the number of people that are projected to vote. So I'd be saying that if that happens in Nevada, you'd be saying maybe 1.2 to 1.25 million people vote in Nevada in 2020. And based on what's, you know, roughly speaking, that's 25 to 30% a mathematical whiz kid, but it's in that range. So the way I'd view that is if turnout, if Trump's, um, Trump's campaign rallies are definitely working. So the messaging that he's getting, and this is this really has picked up since Thursday and the Hunter Biden laptop. All his rallies since then have shifted focus away from more traditional talking points like, you know, general talk about the way the economy was before coronavirus, how he handled the coronavirus, how he's strong on China, how he got all the trade deals, deals done, how he's been great for Israel, how he's, you know, done more for black and Hispanic Americans than any other president. These are the talking points that he, he kind of rattles out. And to be fair, they weren't making a lot of, there was about two or three week period there where the campaign wasn't making the inroads that it should have been, I think, on the electorate. The Hunter, lap, the Hunter Biden laptop drop has changed the dynamic and he, the momentum is definitely with him on the ground. And so when I analyzed the Nevada data, in the prism of that campaign rally that happened on the Sunday, it, it's pretty clear you, to me that, that there's a link between that campaign rally and the kicking off of three, two or three days of high turnout Republican. So I think what you're going to see over the next week is the same tactic. I don't think he's going to start changing tactics now. I think he runs with the Biden crime, you know, the, this idea of a Biden crime family. <coughs> because I think it's working and I think it's actually working on the ground. <clears throat> so I would say you're going to see at least one more trip to Pennsylvania based on the mistake Joe Biden made at the end of the debate last night with regard to the oil um, industry. And I think that he's going to incorporate that into his talking points a lot more than he, he might have been. And that we shall see. Now, I know I said I was going to go through Florida today. I'm just going to briefly... Have a look at the Florida. Um, I haven't gone into Florida in as much detail as I would have liked because I kind of I got sidetracked by this Nevada data and the campaign rally and and the kind of link there is between them. I think so. Florida, <clears throat> what's going on in Florida? So as of now, four point two million people have voted in Florida. That's thirty percent of the registered voters voters in the states. <clears throat> in the state that. In Florida, they again break things down by party affiliation. So Democrats, 1.9 million Democrats have voted, 1.4 million Republicans, 800,000 independents. And while that looks quite good for Democrats, they've got a 500,000 vote lead there based just on party affiliation. And again, there's no, dem there's no guarantee every Democrat voted Democrat or every Republican voted, sorry, Trump. But, you know, if we're broadly speaking, Trump is a 96% approval rate with Republicans. So I think he's going to, you know, he's going to hold Republicans pretty tight that have voted. Um, the in-person voting, though, is only started this week. So remember, remember that number, 4.2 million. Now, of the 4.2 million, 1 million have voted in person, okay? So of that 1 million that have started to vote this week, 390,000 were Democrats, but 483,000 were Republicans. 
So that's a 90,000 gap the Republicans have already opened on Democrats on in in-person voting. So if this trend continues, so what the next 10 days are going to be about is in-person eaten into that lead 500,000 vote lead in Florida. And it's not even 500,000, it's 460,000 at the moment. So Republicans' ground game is going to have to be excellent to bridge that gap between now and Election Day and, of course, on Election Day. But I would say a lot of people, there's a lot of paranoia in the United States um, at the moment, and it's been going on all summer, whether it's conspiracy theories about the coronavirus, this idea of QAnons, where um, you have this <clears throat> Q person that is, you know, dropping posts on the 4chan kind of website. I will go into that whole stuff at, at a later date. Suffice to say is there is a lot, there's a lot of people in the States that are worried, frightened, and having trouble believing what's being told to them on the news. And it's quite a lot, like there's a lot, there's a, like there's a lot of people worried that the Democrats are going to try and do something the day of the election to suppress people that turn up at the polls. I've seen that written in by a few reputable people who, who I'm not going to name, but I don't think that's going to happen. But what I think the result of that is I, I, I think you're going to see an increasing number of Republicans start to vote in Florida between now and Election Day. I don't think they're going to leave it all to Election Day. I think actually Trump made a, I think the Trump administration made a mistake during the summer. And the mistake I think they made is not every state has this level of in early in-person voting like Florida does. There's about 10 states that do it in a real genuine ma- manner where they give them, you know, anywhere from seven to 20 days to show up at a polling station and cast their vote. And I think it's the way it should, it's, it definitely maximizes turnout. I think, tr- I think the Trump administration probably are worried about turnout in terms of, I think their, their narrative would be the lower the turnout, the better it is for Trump. And I haven't pushed other states to kind of incorporate the same um, rollout as like Florida and Texas. But I think that that might turn out to be a mistake because I think when this election is over, you might find that the, that the states that Trump has done well in are states that had a comprehensive early in-person voting um, situation set up in the state because there doesn't seem, the first week, there there, there seems to be a, st- a steady and gaining advantage in Florida. Normally, when you have early in-person voting, the first day there's a, there's a big push. Everybody's, you know, all the partisans and both parties are out and they're getting their vote out. And then you'll see it on the second day. But then after the second day, things start to calm down. Now, I know we're only four or five days into Florida's early in-person voting, but it's um, the Republicans are making steady gains every day. So I think Florida's not a state the Trump campaign are in red alert about. I think they're, even though they have this 460,000 vote deficit at the moment in registered voters, I don't think they're, they're, they're eating into it every day with the in-person voting. So I think they will be pretty happy with the state of play in Florida. I'm very surprised that they haven't, when they, when the campaign are talking about um, swing states, I, I haven't heard them talk much about Nevada as being a state that they could flip. Now, there's only six electoral college votes, but it, like if he flipped a state like that, it would take a lot of pressure off, like it would relieve a lot of pressure. And it's it's fair game. Like I think there's no... Clark County isn't shown unless the electoral mail-in ballots are overwhelmingly from that county. I don't... I don't... I see Trump increasing the, like, reducing the deficit. He doesn't need to win that county. Clinton won it by 11%. If Biden only wins it by 4 or 5%, well, then tr- Trump will take the state, no no doubt about it. And it's, um, we'll know a lot more. I'd, like, I'd say you'll know a lot more about Nevada. I'd say you'll nearly know the result of Nevada before the election because if there are 600,000 voters or 700,000 voters by the end of next week... That'll be close to seventy percent of the electors. I think you'll have a great you'll have a great idea then if 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 Trump's lead has gone out from 
whatever it was, 20,000, and say it's 100,000, say it's 40 or 50,000, I'd say he has a great chance of um, taking that state. But every day is a school day on this campaign, so things change every day of the week. Um, that's it. I just, I, th- I think this is the way I'm going to cover the campaign on, until election day, because I think it's much better, rather than trying to look at the whole country I think it's much better to look at statistics that are coming out. And as we get closer to the uh, election, the statistics are going to be ever closer to giving you enough information to tell you what's going to happen. I think looking at polls, like CNN produced some poll, and I think the Irish Times have it as well, that, you know, Trump's down this, Trump's down that. I don't know what poll that you would produce since early voting. As why you're producing polls when early voting has been so high volume and there's so much information. You can extrapolate more from that than bringing 1,000 people in an election where in an election where the turnout is going to break records. I think it's too volatile. Like I don't, the, the electorate in this election is too volatile to be making any mad predict, predictions about. It be about who can get their people out on the day or days. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this little segment. And finally, in our last segment, we're going to look at the Irish Times article from early this morning as posted on their website as opposed to the print version. Okay, so the way the Irish Times approached the US presidential debate was they got six journalists uh, to give their opinion. Now, I'm only going to go through two because the article is quite long and I think the two heavy hitters are at the top two positions. Suzanne Lynch, who is... Um, the Washington Correspondent, and Simon Carswell, who's known um, many people in Ireland as being one of our leading journalists. Um, so let's start with the headline, US presidential debate. Who won? Was it any good? Where Were there any surprises? Okay, so if we go down to what Susan Lynch said, Suzanne Lynch said, given the low bar set by the first debate on September 29th, which descended into chaos and name-calling, this was an improvement in terms of both substance and style. Trump's tone was more restrained, even polite at times, as he refrained from interrupting his opponent. I respect very much the way you're handling this, Trump told moderator Kristen Welker at uh, one point. No doubt mindful of the all-important female vote in this election, having lashed out at two female reporters, Samantha, Samantha Guthrie and Leslie Stahl, who interviewed him over the past week. Let's stop there for a minute. So, Suzanne has gone off into a little alleyway there that I don't agree with. Uh, in, the first in, in, the, in the first instance, Samantha Guthrie um, interviewed Trump in a town hall setting. At the exact same time, Joe Biden was doing uh, a town hall, a ta- town hall, with I think it was CNN, was it CNN, but or ABC, sorry, and Trump was on NBC. Samantha Guthrie actually asked him a series of really ridiculous questions, really targeted at him. I think she asked him twenty-seven questions. This was supposed to be a town hall where undecided voters or you know voters got to ask the president questions. They ended up asking nine or ten questions. Samantha Guthrie went down this, you know, rabbit hole about asking Trump about QAnon and Q and, you know, again asked him this white supremacy question, which he's answered at least 30 times over the last four years. It was really a smear job. And you could see the anger in her appearance as the longer this thing went on. And it was disgraceful. Leslie Stahl, this is hilarious. 60 Minutes did a uh, an interview with Trump and Trump trumped them in the sense that he got the unedited version of the interview and it kind of doesn't paint Leslie Stahl in a very kind light at all. And Trump then proceeded to publish the unedited version of the 60 Minutes interview on his Facebook and Twitter accounts. And it basically... In the in the off in the off cuts, um, you know, it's quite clear that Stahl is not prepared to ask questions about Hunter Biden. That she keeps saying it's not verifiable, and Trump asked her why is it not verifiable, and she's no answer like because it's not verifiable. Go verify it. Like it's nobody. I keep repeating this. The laptop 
and the information on it are real. They are things that you can go and say, is um, is this legitimate or is it not? This idea that it's not, it's unverifiable. Of course, it's verifiable, uh, and a lot of people have verified it. So, to take this angle that he lashed out at two female reporters, nonsense. Um, and this idea that he, I respect very much the way you're handling this wasn't. That's not Trump. Oh, he was thinking of the all important female voter when he said it. It was about, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes in. And he was quite shocked. It was kind of, he says, you know, he kind of, it was a reactive um, statement at the end of something. He said, you know, this is good. It was kind of like, this is going well. I'm happy with this scenario, much more so than with Chris Wallace from Fox. So straight away, I have a problem with that paragraph. But behind the camera demeanor, Trump still displayed the characteristics that have seen him through the last four years. He threw mud at Joe Biden, accusing him of being corrupt and making millions from China and Ukraine. Biden tried to refute the allegations, but his repeated refrain of not true, not true, as he shook his head, struggled to make an impact. Trump repeatedly told untruths, claiming that Biden supported socialized medicine, which he does, and wanted to ban fracking. Neither is true. Now we're going to have a pause here. Because I want to play you, uh, I want to play you audio of all the times that Joe Biden has said that he is against fracking. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would, we would we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those. I guarantee. We're going to end fossil fuel. No more, no new fracking. I gradually move away from fracking. And I think it's critically important on day one that we end any fossil fuel leases on public land. Oh, well, like, what about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yeah. pipeline infrastructure? Yeah. And, 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 and. They, they want to do the same thing I want to do. They want to phase out fossil fuels, and we're going to phase out fossil fuels. There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. So as you can see, both Joe Biden and his running mate, Kamala Harris, have repeatedly said that they're not, they're going to get rid of fracking. And not just that, that their fossil, the whole fossil fuel industry is something that they're going to start phasing out. So this idea that I'm, I'm not opposed to fracking is what the exact word he used, oppose. So he didn't even say, he didn't even say, I'm not against fracking. He said, I'm not opposed to it. Like, that, everything about what he just said is his opposition to fracking. So that is a lie, a blatant lie. Trump had a, a campaign ad cut within three minutes of that campaign finishing last night. Because at the end of it, Joe, Trump tried to come back at Biden and, and says, that's, what you're saying is a lie or it's not true. And Biden says, show me the evidence. Put it on your website. So, sure enough, within... Five minutes, Trump had it on his website, a cut of Joe asking the question in the debate and all the various different times that he's said he's opposed to fracking. So, like, that is absolutely ridiculous what's written there. We've done, so anyway, getting back to the article, we have done an incredible job environmentally, declared Biden, during the discussion of climate change, ignoring his rollback of Obama-era environmental regulators regulations and his decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Accords, Trump said. As was the case in the first debate, Biden quoted some of the best one-liners of the night, but did not deliver them well. Well, that is a, that's quite the sentence. Uh, a one-liner that isn't delivered well isn't a one-liner. Learning to live with it. Come on. We're dying with it. In what sense are any of them one-liners, he said, as Trump tried to put a positive glass on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to shut down the virus, not the country, he said at another point. But the punchlines fell flat. On substantive policy points, Trump was weakest on immigration, such as his equivocal answer to reports that more than 500 children have not been reunited with the families having been separated at the border. He was quite... That that story that Biden threw out there about these 500 children that did throw him because trump admitted he wasn't he didn't know the specifics of that story he was talking about um so we'll just jump down here any surprises trump's demeanor he exhibited a discipline we don't usually see from the president even though his attitude was sullen throughout his attitude wasn't sullen throughout um key moment biden's response when trump declared he was 
the least racist person in the room. The former vice president shot. He poured fuel in every single racist fire, every single one. He started off his com- campaign coming down the escalator saying he was going to get rid of those Mexican rapists. He banned Muslims because they are Muslims. This guy is a dog whistle as big as a fog horn. Key moment. I don't think that was a key moment because you're talking about something he said in 2016, 2015 campaign, not the current campaign. And the context of what you're saying there, you could spend an hour going through what was actually said in full. Who won and why? Biden, in that he avoided any pitfalls or missteps that could have thrown his campaign off kilter. His campaign is off kilter for the last week in the final run to the election. Sorry, I interjected there my own uh, statement. Despite coming under pressure from Trump over support for the 1994 crime bill, yeah, we went through that, Biden passed the competence bar. Did he? Biden passed the competence bar and also succeeded in steering the debate back to the overriding message he wanted to convey that he would lead for all Americans if elected. This is just the typical politician talk. No detail. These grand notions. He voted for that crime bill and it led to tens of thousands of African Americans going directly to jail for small amounts of cocaine and other drug substances. So this is complete balderdash. Biden passed the competence bar. At the 30-minute mark in this debate, Biden started drifting away. His energy levels started to go down. This And remember, just remember, this guy has not compa- campaigned for the last five days because we were told he was preparing for this debate. And he was prepared to the degree he was able to deliver what he had prepared. After the 30-minute mark in this debate, he started getting befuddled, befuddled and he started making a series of mistakes and started telling lies as we've highlighted with the fracking so you know if you want to believe that Suzanne good luck to you now Simon Carswell Irish Times journalist do 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 what did he say yes was it a good debate yes the final debate of this presidential campaign less than two weeks before polling day was far more civilised than the shout fest that was the first encounter between these two septuagenarians last month. The difference was night and day. This managed to feel like a normal presidential debate, and unusually, Trump appeared like a normal candidate at times. Trump is elected because he's not a normal candidate. But fair synopsis in the first paragraph by Simon. Um, the main reason was Trump was on better behavior and uncharacteristically less aggressive. Shockingly, he was actually polite on occasion and managed to compliment the debate moderator, NBS, NBC's Kristen Welker, for a first for Trump. He even appeared to listen. He was clearly following the advice of his campaign team not to interrupt and to let Joe Biden talk and trip himself up, which he did. Unfortunately for Trump, Biden never lost his footing. He was assured and confident. I, okay, fair enough, did you think? Any surprises? Not many. Biden's aggression stood out. The Democratic former vice president out-trumped Trump on what the US president has turned into a strength as an anti-politician figure during previous debates. Biden swatted the US president's smear lines very effectively with simple wrongs and not truths. He keeps saying wrongs and not truths without having any evidence to back up what he's saying. So, like, it wasn't effective at all. He responded smartly to Trump's attempts to play to his supporters with baseless attacks over his business dealings of his son, Hunter Biden. You guys, and it doesn't matter if you're in Ireland, the United States, the United Kingdom, none of you guys want to talk about it. None of you guys want to investigate it. All you want to do is take whatever CNN or MSNBC are throwing out on a nightly basis and run with that. Here we go now. So, he responded smartly to Trump's attempts to play to his supporters of basic tasks or business dealings of son Hunter Biden, accusing Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, former mayor in New York, who put away five mafia families, heads of five mafia families, put a, a load of Wall Street guys in jail, and was mayor during 9-11. Just, you, fear, you fail to mem- mention that, Simon, like he's just some personal lawyer, being used as a Russian pawn fed information that is not true. The National Intelligence Agency has come out and said that this laptop is not part of a Russian disinformation campaign. So what really annoys me is the people writing this know this. Biden came out swinging and notably wearing a face mask at the beginning in contrast to Trump and kept swinging throughout. Key moment. Coronavirus dominated the debate, didn't dominate the debate. 
and Biden landed punches on the topic. He did land punches on this topic. But the key moment is Biden condemning the Trump White House policy of separating immigrant children from the parents at the southern border, one of the most egregious acts of his four-year administration. He's, you see, that isn't factually correct. He was separating immigration children from adults at the southern border. Adults, not parents. And that's why there's only 500 of them. Not that there should be 500, but that's not accurate. Biden pointed to recent reports that the parents of 545 children separated at the Mexican border have still not been found. Those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. It's criminal, said a human Biden. It would be if it was true. A frowning Trump could only respond by saying that the detained children are being so well taken care of and feel so clean and asking Biden who built the cages. Well, who did build the cages? It was an Obama-Biden policy. They introduced the policy in their uh, president, uh, you know, in their term, presidential term, it was as close to a knockout punch as this debate got. It was nowhere near a knockout punch. It is absolute. Well, that's the way he looks at it, I suppose. Who won and why? Biden by a country mile. <laughs> he scored most by coming across as presidential. Pit against a man whose performance confirmed how far out of his depth he is. The veteran Democrat came across as someone who could be grown up in the White House. This sounds like who understands the complex challenges the country faces at a time when the United States must tackle its biggest crisis, the coronavirus pandemic. Joe Biden gave no plan for a coronavirus pandemic. He basically re- he starts saying he's going to do stuff that has already been done. He's going to come up with a plan. We're going to have a plan for the coronavirus. That's what he keeps saying. What's your plan, Joe? Americans don't panic. He panics, said Biden, summing up the U.S. president's approach to fighting the virus in one of his zingers on the night. That's... Okay. Biden tried to present himself as a unifier at a time of great division, riffing on the tried and trusted Obama line. I don't see red states. Rip on blue states. What I see is American United States. It's just another example of Biden going into a plagiarist, his plagiarist nature. He's a history throughout his life of plagiarizing other people. He doesn't have any ideas for himself. So to present it as a riffing on the tried and trusted, stealing. We'd call that Stila now down the west of Ireland. He spoke about decency, honour and respect and treating people with dignity in a strong finish about what he would say to the American people who did not vote for him in, the, in his inauguration speech of elected. In the Trump era, it felt like an unusual return to a traditional presidential race with the flourishing rhetoric that once characterised the US presidential campaign. It stood out. It might stand out to you, Simon, but it's not standing out to people that are on the fence. Trump relied on well-peddled lies. What lies? Personalized smears on Biden and tack lines from his campaign stump speech in a strategy that rankled during a debate that allowed policy positions to be aired, at least from Biden. Trump laid out plenty of policy. I was actually quite surprised he was, um, when he started talking about the $15 minimum wage, that he was he knew quite a lot about um, different options in that area. This was Trump playing to his supporters on the right with klaxon-sounding lines, the laptop from hell. Okay, if that will appeal to his low-information supporters who are fed a diet of misinformation by Fox News or Breitbart. The muses Mike was the big, second big winner of the night, permitted a mostly reasonable debate that exposed Trump and allowed Biden to shine. Will it all matter? Probably not. Well, if it happened the way you described it, it probably wouldn't matter, wouldn't it? The U.S. president spoke only to his base, and there are a few undecideds left in this campaign after four years of Donald. So that's the view from Ireland. So obviously, the you know the journalists, our top journalists, don't see things the way I do, uh, which is no surprise or no crime. <laughs> um, what I would say there is that. There's a superficial level of condescension. There's a a level of condescension about journalism, about tech, about politicians, about Trump and the supporters. And the, 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 the condescension is that there's something wrong with you if you vote for Trump. And because there's something wrong with Trump, they're patronizing in their delivery because they don't even go into detail about the things where they say, oh, all the, the lies he was telling. They just throw that out there. They're not like Trump is the classic exaggerator. He's not a out and out liar. He exaggerates things. There's so much. Um, Trump is so transparent. Is the word I'm looking for. because there's so much of him online 
on Twitter, in interviews at rallies. I don't think a president has been as open with the a public as President Trump in terms of just the sheer volume of um, information that comes out. You wish he wouldn't put out so much of it. And he frequently shoots himself in the foot with things he says, like the thing with the Mexican rapists in 2015. That was a silly thing to say. But that phrase got him into the media. That phrase, the way he phrased that, and he said he said it a lot more. He said a lot more than that on the subject. But that Mexican rapist thing, when you when when you hear it, you go, "What's he saying?" That catapulted him into the media, and from that day, he never. From that day, he went. He shot to the top of the um, polls in the Republican primaries, and he's never looked back. So sometimes the controversial statements, they are, uh, <clears throat> you wish you wouldn't do them. <clears throat> Especially another one that comes to mind is Greta Thunberg. At some point before the coronavirus, she was, you know, given, she was getting a lot of media attention over something to do with climate change. And Dom, Donald Trump took to Twitter to kind of talk her down. And I thought, what are you doing tweeting about a 16-year-old girl? It's just, why are you doing that? It's, but he, there is a certain element of truth in the fact that he is not able to control himself very well when he feels that, um, well, not even when he feels, there are certain, when, when he gets on Twitter, sometimes you wonder what he is thinking. And that is that on the Irish Times article. That more or less wraps it up for today's episode. We've had examination of the debate, dug a little into the early voting in the state of Nevada. Finally, we've gone through the today's reaction in the Irish Times in Ireland today. And we will get back to um, the election in our next episode. Just a um, little tip or Heads up on what's coming in the next couple of episodes. We'll be continuing to focus on the election. I'm, I'm also hoping to have an interview with a couple of journalists from the United States that know a little bit about Steve Bannon. Because one of the features of tonight and the last two weeks of the Trump campaign has been there's been a massive shift in focus away from the traditional topics like the economy, coronavirus, coronavirus um, immigration, to a hyper-focus on the Biden family corruption. Um, this is going to be, this decision to go down this road is going to be the winning or losing of the election for Donald Trump. And the man behind the strategy is Steve Bannon. Um, you heard mention in a, the Irish Times article of Rudy Giuliani, the way I look at how this story has been playing out about Hunter Biden, his laptop and all the other information is that Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani along with the former New York um, police commissioner, gathered the information and Steve Bannon developed the strategy. So I want to take a look in the coming episodes, a closer look at Steve Bannon, whose roots are Irish. You can probably tell from a name like Bannon. And I've had a couple of people reach out to me on Twitter um, with all the good, the bad and the ugly about Stephen Bannon. And I just want to, I think it might be interesting for people in Ireland and this side of the Atlantic to get some sense of his history what he's done before he was involved, we'll say, with President Trump in the pre-2016 era, and just to examine this strategy that he's developed for the Trump campaign, in my opinion. It's his, it's his strategy. It's the same playbook as he used when he came in late in the 2016 campaign after the Billy Bush weekend. And, you know, he... The stunt he pulled last night with Lieutenant Bobulinski, who appeared and gave a press conference, was very similar to what 
they did before the final debate in 2016 against Hillary Clinton, where they produced a, several women that had, um, you know, rape and sexual abuse claims against Bill Clinton, former President Bill Clinton. And it had, many people think, it, like, this is dirt, dirty politics, and it undoubtedly is down in the gutter. The question is, does it work? And I think this is going to, this is going to be the acid test of the Bannon strategies, is that if this works, Donald Trump will have turned around a 10-point disadvantage in the polls in less than two weeks. So there's much more to come on this story and there's much more to play out over the next 10 days before the election and we're going to keep an eye on it. So that's all I've got for you today. I'd just like to thank you for listening and um, we you can follow us or share our content. Um, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on patreon.com, Thinking Out Loud is the name of the podcast and if you search on that on any of the main podcasting pl- platforms, you will find us. We're on Buzz Sprout as well. So that's it for today, and thank you.